Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. To hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley... September 11, 2001, unidentified terrorists lead a four-pronged attack on America. In New York, the morning hours turn into frightening chaos. 35 seconds, and then there was like this pause, and then boom, hit with all the dust, and it was black, I mean pitch black. I don't know if anybody could have survived being on the street at that time. And Diane and I were sitting there. Somebody said into our ear, something's going on at the World Trade Center. There are flames coming out of the side of the building. Something has hit the building. It may be an airplane. It just went ba-boom. It was like a bomb went off. And it was like, it was like, holy hell, coming down downstairs. Justin, you were looking at, a, obviously, a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center. And we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. It didn't look like there was a plane at all. It was just obliterated when it hit the ground. Well, quite simply, as we begin our 11 o'clock edition of Eyewitness News, the unthinkable happened today. The World Trade Center, both towers, gone. And we are all witnesses to it, and to some degrees, degree, we are all victims. Tonight, there are survivors trapped in that rubble. Mayor Giuliani confirmed it less than an hour ago. How many, we do not know. Towers and everything that was inside them is now strewn across Lower Manhattan office workers, the bodies of office workers, the rescue workers who tried to save them are now buried beneath tons of broken glass and twisted steel. The scope of this disaster is impossible to comprehend. Al-Qaeda orchestrated the string of attacks. In addition to the World Trade Center, another hijacked plane flew into the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., while the last crashed in a field outside Philadelphia when passengers fought back against the hijackers. The nation grieved the deaths, a final toll of 2,996 Americans, a tragedy that forever changed our country. For some of us, September 11, 2001 still rings clear in our minds, and even 20 years now after the attacks. But newer generations have little to no memory of that tragic day, either having been too young to remember or not yet born. We're marking the upcoming 20th anniversary of 9-11, reflecting on how Gen Zers recognize an event that they learn about in history books and examining generational trauma affecting those who didn't even live through the event. Later in the show, American Muslims have always faced discrimination in this country, but after 9-11, anti-Muslim prejudice increased, frequently turning violent. We're looking at the growth and spread of bias against Muslims in America as the nation marks the upcoming 20th anniversary of September 11, 2001. But first, joining me remotely, journalist and historian Garrett Graff, whose latest book, The Only Plane in the Sky, is the first comprehensive oral history of September 11th. Graff also serves as the director of the Aspen Institute's Cybersecurity and Technology Program. Welcome, Garrett. Thanks so much for having me. 
Glad to have you. Sam Summers, experimental social psychologist, author, and professor at Tufts University. Thanks for joining us, Sam. Sure. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. And Dana Rose Garfin, trauma scholar and assistant professor at the University of California, Irvine. Hi, Dana. Hi. Great to be here. Well, I'm happy to have all of you to delve into this. And Garrett, I'm going to start with you because in 2019, you wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal that I think really can help people understand what we're talking about when you think about who experienced it, 9-11, and who didn't, and, and really what that means in terms of uh, recognition of this momentous occasion, this marking of the 20th anniversary. So you wrote in that piece, this fall, college students born after 9-11 began arriving on campuses across the nation for the first time. And in recent months, the first candidates born after those attacks began applying to join the ranks of the New York City Fire Department, still haunted by the loss of 343 of its members on that day. Similarly, military recruits born after 9-11 are now being deployed to the wars that the attacks spark, as well as to Guantanamo Bay, where they will guard al-Qaeda prisoners captured before the young soldiers were born. Well, that really puts it in perspective, doesn't it, Garrett? Yeah, I mean, this is a, now a seminal event in American history where a quarter of the country, though, now is too young to remember the attacks at all and has only ever learned about them in history books. And yet, you know, even now, two years after I wrote that piece, we still have, uh, you know, wars underway in Iraq and Afghanistan or sort of the tail end thereof. Those al-Qaeda prisoners are increasingly moving into geriatric care at Guantanamo Bay, still even without any sign of the trials that would bring them to justice anywhere on the horizon down the road. I mean, this is an incredible moment in time as we watch 9-11 shift from memory into history. One of the things you've said is that the challenge of this history is, is that we teach it is not actually how it was experienced, that a big part for you in capturing this story was how 9-11 was actually lived. Now, what do you mean by that? Yeah, the story that we tell, the history that we teach of 9-11 is a much simpler, neater, and cleaner history than any of us who were actually alive that day experienced. You know, we talk about it as the attacks began at 8.46 in the morning. The whole thing was over 102 minutes later at 10.28 a.m. with the collapse of the second tower. There were the four flights. There was Pennsylvania, Pentagon, and the Twin Towers. But that's not the day that any of us actually lived, that we lived in experience filled with chaos and confusion and trauma that we didn't know when the attacks began. You know, most of us believed that that first crash was actually an accident, not an attack. We didn't know when it was over. We didn't know that the whole thing was over at 1028, well into the afternoon, until about three o'clock that afternoon, the U.S. government feared that there were more hijacked planes still in the air and that those attacks might ripple far beyond the East Coast. I mean, there were skyscrapers evacuated in Los Angeles, in Chicago. The Toronto subway closed. The Disney shut down, the first and only time it's ever closed due to a hostile act. And that it, the death toll for much of that day was feared to be 20, 30, 40, 50,000 Americans, perhaps. Uh, and, and of course, none of us knew what came next. We didn't know whether there was a second wave that afternoon on 9-12 in October, what might be coming in 2002. I mean, part of what is so hard 
for the current generation learning about 9-11 to understand is that they look back and they see that al-Qaeda was unable to attack the United States again for more than 17 years after 9-11. I mean, they sort of wonder, like, what was the big deal with the war on terror at all? You're exactly right. And Sam, you're part of the cohort of people teaching those students, by the way. And you talk about the anniversary and a big anniversary like this as a a kind of flashbulb moment because people can remember where they are if they were around. But it's quite different for students who weren't around or who have some vague memory or only read about it in a book. So first, what's it like to try to get across to these young people that Many of the things that are a part of our lives now, the security, the sort of anxiousness that overrides everything with regard to worldwide and global interaction among our leaders, is something that is can be directly traced to 9-11. Yeah, it's perpetually a challenge as someone who lives and works among and teaches college students to take uh, full account of the idea that one's frame of references are not the same as those students in the classroom. Those changes in references and reference points are particularly acute when you think about world-changing events like September 11th. And it is that surreal realization that these are students who did not live through this and did not have that experience. And I think so much of September 11th, 2001 was the uncertainty and the experience of going through it as it was happening contemporaneously. And it's hard to do justice to that. And as I say that, I'm sure there are people listening to this broadcast who are thinking, uh, like my parents' generation, right, that's what we've always been talking about with the Kennedy assassination or with other seminal events that have happened in, in, our, in our history that the, the lived experience of going through it is very different than reading about it and hearing about it after the fact. And it is a challenge to get people to uh, go beyond, of course, uh, the, the facts of what they read about on the page and hear about in a class and to put themselves in the psychology and the emotional state of what it was like at the time, it's, it's nearly impossible to do that. But of course, current events in our society, there's no shortage of crises uh, at the moment in our, in our current society. And, and there is some parallel there that can be drawn, I think, for students about what it's like to live through something that their children will one day be reading about in history books as well. The impact of 9-11, of course, Dana Rose Garfin, is the communal experience of having on these shores. And for America, particularly, since nothing like that had happened before, it was particularly traumatic. I definitely think that in some and in probably many ways, this younger generation was still impacted by 9-11. So, for example, you know, I grew up feeling a sense of invulnerability to any attack, right? So it was very shocking for my generation to to see and witness that we could actually be attacked by a foreign invader. And I think the younger generation, you know, grows up with their parents and grandparents recalling 9-11 and telling them about 9-11. So, you know, I would think that they kind of grow up knowing that's a possibility and maybe having this kind of low level of anxiety or apprehension. And again, as Sam said, there's no shortage of traumatic events in society that they're dealing with. So this is kind of just another example of uncertainty in the world that that could actually occur. And, you know, I also think from a trauma perspective, there's a lot of intergenerational trauma that gets passed on. So, you know, even from an epigenetic perspective, you know, women that may have been pregnant during the time of 9-11 or shortly after when there was all this trauma and societal upheaval and stress and anxiety, I mean, they could have passed some of that on to their children, even in a biological way. 
So what has your work taught you about the impact of 9-11 in terms of generational trauma on these generations that came after, on the Gen Zers? Yeah, so I don't know if we really have data specifically on how it impacted Gen Z because we don't really have a good control group of a generation that, you know, didn't experience that as a child in that same way, right, that grew up sort of after the fact of that. But, you know, I do think that we can draw from other examples of how these large scale events impact generations and, and impact people that are born maybe afterwards. And, you know, as well, like a lot of our research has shown that certainly many people are quite resilient after traumatic events, but we do see these protracted stress responses and negative physical and mental health outcomes that are associated with exposure to these events, even when that exposure occurs through the media. And for some people that can persist for many years. I think one of the things to pick up on sort of both what Sam and Dana are talking about is it is very hard now to realize just how different the environment that this generation has grown up in. That to me, the most fascinating moment of 9-11 has always been the 17 minutes between the first crash and the second crash. And you see in those 17 minutes uh, from 846 to 903, the incredible innocence of America as a country and as a people. No one really thought that first crash was going to be terrorism because the idea of being attacked in a public space was so new to the United States. I mean, there had been the the 93 attack at the World Trade Center. There'd been the Oklahoma City bombing. There'd been the Columbine shooting. But those were exceptions. Whereas the generation that has grown up since 9-11, they have grown up in a society that has been at war every minute of their lives. They have grown up with active shooter drills in school. And there's sort of this backdrop of fear for Generation Z that even me as a child growing up of the 1980s, you know, going to school in the 1990s never felt. We never had active shooter drills. This is just a very different American society that they have experienced without ever actually having a good understanding of that which came before. It's pretty interesting to me that, as you've pointed out in some of your other work, that if you peel it back, that 9-11 is in the backdrop of so many issues. So even if you weren't here, you are actually, you are living through all of the residue of it as it has embedded itself in these other issues that we are confronted with now. And give us an example of that, Gary. Yeah. I mean, I think that you can draw, for instance, a very straight line in our politics from the attacks of 9-11 to the arrival of Donald Trump as president of the United States. You know, you can draw a straight line from the events of September the 11th to the events of January 6th in terms of the fear and the otherness of American society that we adopted after 9-11, the rise of birtherism, the anti-Muslim movements. And this isn't just in the United States, by the way. I, you know, I think you can draw a relatively straight line from 9-11 in the UK and the experiences thereafter of the war on terror up to Brexit in, in terms of the destabilization of the Middle East the war in Syria, the immigration crisis in Europe, and what that has meant for the way that a lot of Western democracies have looked at themselves and reshaped themselves in the 20 years since. 
and that's my guest, Garrett Graff, who's a journalist and historian. Um, Sam Summers, if a lot of this stuff is embedded, but there's no history or there is no meaning to the, I'm using Gen Zers as a kind of uh, uh, collective way to think about it, the, the generations that came after, what they consider to be threats is quite different. So 9-11 has that resonance for people who live through it, understanding you know, what changed and what became a threat. But for them, everything that Garrett just mentioned is just run of the mill. That's part of their lives. But other things are more forward to them in terms of threats, and they, they cope with that differently. Yeah, I think that uh, our our sense of threat is relative and and is subjective. And I think that one could very dispassionately look at numbers and say the the casualty tolls from September 11th, frankly, pale in, in in comparison to what's going on right now during the COVID pandemic in terms of deaths in this country, but also worldwide. And, uh, and that doesn't feel like a comparison that makes a lot of sense because September 11th, for all the reasons that, that Garrett's talked about, resonates still with our society because of what it meant, because of all of our living through it. But that becomes a difficult thing to wrap one's head around when one, when one did not live through it. I, I, I think what's also notable in, in my conversations with students when we talk about, for example, September 11th as an illustration of a collective trauma or coping strategies in its aftermath, a lot of my students will sort of talk about the, the ways in which they've learned that the, the country, America, came together after that uh, hmm. event, after that tragedy, and it sort of all banded together, and there was there was unity and so forth. And but those of us who lived through it, and certainly those who studied it carefully, can speak to the uh, the, the huge spike in in hate crimes and and hate speech in, in this country in the immediate aftermath, uh, in particular targeted against individuals of, of Middle Eastern descent in this country. And so the students now uh, and this generation that we're talking about, the young generation, is certainly aware. Of, of a similar spike going on in the last four or five years in this country, uh, in particular during the, the, the COVID pandemic in the last 18 months or so. But it is interesting and, and I think noteworthy which aspects of uh, the context Garrett was just providing uh, our, our young generations are, are aware of uh, and, and which aspects of it are not quite as evident if you just read a very cool, dispassionate historical account of, of September 11th and its aftermath. How then do you put this in the context of COVID, which they are very much experiencing? And obviously it's it's another communal attack, if you will, but of course a biological health one, a public health one. The students can resonate with that. The idea is that, uh, you know, Garrett talked about what it was like to live through and to, to, to experience September 11th. On, contemporaneously as it was happening and the uncertainty, how long is this going to last? What's going to come next? And while that was within the confines of 24 hours and then yes, the weeks and months that followed, we're 18 months into the, the, the pandemic crisis right now and our students are still asking those questions. We're all asking those questions. And so the time course is different, but some of that, that psychological impact and psychological uncertainty is, is very similar clearly. How does 9-11 and that history and the generational trauma memory play out? You know, 9-11 really ushered in a new era of experiencing collective trauma because this was an event that many in society either saw live on television as it was occurring and saw the immediate aftermath and saw this trauma replayed over and over and over again. And a lot of the research that my colleagues and I have done on a variety of collective trauma, including 9-11, the Boston Marathon bombing attacks, school shootings, the Ebola public health crisis, and in our ongoing work on COVID-19, is that 
the more people view these media images, particularly over and over again on TV, on social media, you know, that is directly associated with increased negative psychological responses, acute stress response, post-traumatic stress response, depression, anxiety. And so I think in a way, um, you know, many of these children probably saw those images. And then they are seeing these images of all these other events, the school shootings, the hospitals overflowing during COVID-19. And so they're continually exposed to these threats, even from the confines of their own bedrooms. So I think kind of the backdrop of this, you know, stay at home orders, schools being canceled, um, and these disruptions of their lives that they're directly experiencing, they're witnessing all of these crises on TV, on social media, on their computers as they're occurring. And we all saw the events of, of January 6th live or shortly thereafter, replayed over and over again. And we know from a very growing and robust body of research that witnessing those events through the media, even indirectly, has very serious consequences for our mental health. So what do you think is the takeaway, Dana, on this 20th anniversary of 9-11? Yeah, so I think certainly Garrett's work is, you know, very impactful and very important. Remembering these lived experiences, honoring the trauma that people went through, remembering so we can be cognizant that these events could happen and to take the necessary actions in society, you know, to protect against those threats. But, you know, I also just think it's a good reminder that staying informed is quite different than exposing yourself to these disturbing images, whether they're of 9-11, whether they're of COVID-19, over and over and over again. Garrett, what's the takeaway, do you think? Yeah, one thing that will be quite different between 9-11 and COVID for Generation Z is that COVID has been a very isolating personal experience. All of us, to a certain extent, had a similar experience living through 9-11. We watched the same events on TV. Some of us were affected more personally than others, but there was a great moment of national unity that came afterward, as Sam was talking about. But as Dana was saying, Part of what makes the COVID pandemic so challenging is that even on the same street, let alone in the same classroom, people are having wildly different COVID experiences. And that that's, I think, going to lead to very different senses of what this moment was like. And because, you know, the message very much from the U.S. government over the last you know year and a half is that we are not all in this together as we were after 9-11, that this is each of us trying on our own to make it through this pandemic in a way that is different from our neighbors, our friends, our family, and our classmates in other parts of our towns and communities and across the country. So I think that this, th there's going to be a very different type of trauma and sense of memory of this event than there was after 9-11. And, and I think part of what overhangs the anniversary of 9-11 this year is that sort of shared sense that the unity that existed in the wake of 9-11 is now gone. And we may not see that again in our country anytime soon. Sam, um, you've said that memory works different for events that are emotionally charged versus those that aren't. Obviously, 9-11 was quite emotionally charged. Given what Garrett has just said, maybe COVID is not as emotionally charged because of the isolation. But nevertheless, what's your, your takeaway from how this 20-year marker 
is received. Yeah, uh, Garris made a compelling argument for September 11th having a legacy that continues to this day. Um, that said, for a lot of us in thinking through it, it also feels like much more of a closed period of time, a defined time that had a start point, had an end point, um, historically speaking, in a way that COVID did not. I, I think that one thing that we certainly learn from thinking through and having this conversation is that traumas are a frequent part of, of our lives collectively and individually, and we do all experience them differently, though there are some commonalities across them. I think that this provides a time for us to think back and reflect on where we were 20 years ago and what that experience was like, but also the ways in which our society and uh, uh, we as individuals have changed and have not changed and how at some level we're reliving some of those same feelings and processes as we work through the crises that have now befallen us uh, more recently. And that we'll be having this conversation 10 or 20 years from now about retrospectives on other events, and it is a part of the, the human existence, how it is that we cope with these kinds of events and the memories of these kinds of events, which can be, frankly, almost as impactful as, as the original events themselves were. We certainly have an annual remembrance that's quite prominent. We read the names of all the people who were killed as a result of those attacks, and I just wonder, should this remembrance be as prominent as it has been in past years, continue to be that? Is it important that this particular moment in time, which has now become a moment in history, be remembered in the kind of prominent way that it is from now on? I, I think, uh, Callie, one of the things that is useful to look back on is our nation's memory and remembrance of Pearl Harbor that uh, December 7th for a previous generation, you know, well into the 1940s, you know, through the rest of the 1940s and into the 1950s was really seen as a solemn national day, nearly a national holiday. It was a date that people avoided scheduling other milestone events or gatherings on to mark that memory of Pearl Harbor. And for the years after 9-11, we have seen that happen with September 11th. But, you know, year by year, that memory fades and that the importance and, you know, emotional symbolism of that day continues to wane with almost every passing year. And, you know, I think all of us now begin to see life events being scheduled totally normally on 9-11. As a larger and larger portion of our country sees this day as a day in history and not a day that they lived, they're going to shift away from that. I have a three-year-old daughter, and I was born in 1981, and for her, 9-11 is exactly as far removed as the Kennedy assassination was to me. And, you know, growing up, I heard the stories from my parents and my teachers about what the Kennedy assassination was like, but that's going to be the way that this day lives for my daughter. What's your take, Dana? I think it's important for society to remember these events that happen in history and to kind of learn the lessons that, you know, we are vulnerable, that during times of peace, you know, here domestically, we should be grateful. And again, to learn the lessons of how these events can impact us negatively so that we can think about ways to deal with current and future crises in a way that are potentially not as impactful. Sam? I think certainly at a societal level, the commemoration here makes a lot of sense and, and is is one that helps keep the lives lost and, and the, the issues that, that arose after the attacks on our radar. And we all have to come up with the the 
emotional resources and the coping strategies that make sense for us. So for, for individuals for whom it's too painful to sort of think through and watch the, the coverage and, and have this kind of collective commemoration, then they'll practice what uh, emotion regulation researchers talk about as situation selection and, and, and avoid it and commemorate it and memorialize those they've lost at the time and the place that makes sense for them. So I think I'm sure that there's a great deal of individual variability in how we react to anniversaries like this. And I think as we've been talking about, the, the experiences that we have in life are, are, are different for all of us. And, and we all, though we had a collective memory of what went on during September 11th and its aftermath, the uh, the, the very personal aspect of it obviously varies a great deal by individual. So it's the understatement of the century to say it's a bittersweet uh, sort of event here to have the ability to bring forth the memories of, of those who, who were lost and those who, who died trying to save others during September 11th. And at the same time, sort of practice the self-care that we need for those of us for whom this is an incredibly traumatic memory to have to, to have to reopen again. Thank you all very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Garrett Graff is a journalist and historian whose latest book is The Only Plane in the Sky, the first comprehensive oral history of September 11th. Graff also serves as the director of the Aspen Institute's Cybersecurity and Technology Program. Sam Summers is an experimental social psychologist, author, and professor at Tufts University. Dana Rose Garfin is a trauma scholar and assistant professor at the University of California, Irvine. Thomas Harold Bowden, Jr. Donna M. Bowen. Coming up, once it became clear that the 9-11 hijackers were Muslim, American Muslims became targets. The pain and anger of the September 11th tragedy drove anti-American sentiment as well as ongoing suspicion and misconceptions of Islam. Has public perception towards Muslims shifted as the 20-year marker of 9-11 approaches? And will that perception change for the better because Islam is the second largest religion in the U.S. after Christianity? That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. Nicole Bowers. Larry Bowman. Sean Edward Bowman, Jr. Kevin L. Bowles. Gary R. Fox. Gennady Boyarski. Pamela Boyce. Alan P. 